I hurt myself today to see if I still feel I focus on the Welcome to Aggie Hoops Weekly, the podcast that covers what might be the worst team in Division One basketball this season. A&M had a great opportunity to pick up some steam at home, coming off of the heels of a nice win against Alabama. You had two big home games, and the Aggies proceeded to lay an absolute shit show. So with that being said, I'm going to bring in my good friend David, and I'm asking you, please tell me something good. Tell me there's something good to come of all of this. Well, I have a clarifying question for you because you said we laid a shit show. Uh, did you did you misspeak or did we just uh, put forth a performance so bad that it's actually worthy of a new phrase that is conjured from nothing? Is that did we did did we actually lay a shit show? I, it, the argument is there. The argument can be made. Um, no, I have no I have no good news for you, man. I have no good news for you. What we're gonna do here is we're just gonna launch into and out of these games as quickly as we can because it was a freaking nightmare. Uh, we're going to start with the first game you referenced, which was Auburn coming to visit us at Reed Arena. Coming off the heels of a good performance at Alabama, uh, you and I were both a little nervous heading into this Auburn game. They were ranked 14th coming into this game. They were a team that on paper appeared to be well-built to destroy us, but for whatever reason, they hadn't put it together on the road as of yet as they came into that game, which made you and I both feel a little optimistic, if perhaps unfairly so, but we thought if they haven't put it on the, together on the road yet, maybe they won't today. They did. They they played great defense. They shot the lights out. Uh, there was a string where Bryce Brown scored 19 straight that you and I will revisit later because it was infuriating. But they ran away with it, and they, they put us to bed. They did what good teams do on the road against bottom half conference opposition. They put it to bed. There was really not much of a discussion of what was going to happen. And to me, Blake, that loss was at least somewhat forgivable. The narrative of a very good team who hadn't put it together on the road finally putting it together and us just being the unfortunate souls who were in the way when it happened, that at least makes some sense. Like, that's a story. That's a thing that happens in Power 5 basketball, right? What happened three days later is unforgivable. 0-3 Mizzou, who, by the way, we talk about the Gilder's impact when he when he was lost for the year before the season started. Mizzou had an even bigger loss. They had Jonte Porter, a presumptive top-10 NBA lottery pick, tear his ACL before the season started. So we have a team who's 0-3 in the SEC. They've also lost their star contributor, and they just came in, Blake, and they whipped us at Reed Arena. They kicked our ass. At one point, it was 45-20 to 20 at Reed. I heard stories of people booing, people leaving the arena early. At one point, Kennedy, with about 10 minutes left, just pulled his starters off the floor, I think save for a flag, and basically filled in with reserves and walk-ons for to play out the string for the last 10 minutes. But I've got nothing for you, man. I've got nothing. I can't even tell you where we go from here. I don't know how we spin the next 13 conference games. I'm truly at a loss for for where we go from here. Yeah, it was it was an absolutely brutal showing on both accounts. The Auburn game, you, you have a little bit of leeway there, right? You look at it, oh, it was a 19-point loss. But it wasn't so much the actual result. It was the way that the team performed and the complete and total lack of execution in that game. And almost like they didn't give a shit. Yeah. And then you come out of that thinking, okay, Kennedy's going to light a fire under their ass. Things are going to get better. They're going to make up for this against Mizzou. And not only did they not get better against Mizzou, they actually got worse. I I don't understand how this is even possible at this point. But Mizzou looked like world beaters against us. Uh, They shot the ball well, of course, but 
I don't know what A&M is supposed to do because you're, you're running out of options at this point in time. There's many frustrating things about Mizzou, but the part that concerned me is that the big man play, which we had both we had praised the big man play up to this point, right? We had we had talked at length about how even without Isaiah JC, how our defensive presence, our rebounding, the offensive efficiency when they got touches, these things were all were all really better than we had expected. Uh, Mizzou just got whatever they wanted down low, Blake, and it was it was jarring. That's the phrase I've I've used to describe this online because. It was the one thing we could count on. Um, we obviously can't really count on our guard play out top. We can't count on our defense uh, on the perimeter. If we can't count on the bigs, what do we have left? That's that's what really put me in a bad place is the one strength or at least relative strength I thought we had, even that was gone. So that's why I'm just stumbling and I'm really really at a loss for, for what we're going to do moving forward. You know, Mekawulu didn't play terribly. He he had a pretty rough game offensively. He was one for five from the floor. That was just not a good look for him. He was also one for six from the line, which is not characteristic of Christian Mekawulu. He's usually a pretty reliable shooter. One of the things that we've talked about, John Walker is not a serviceable post player. He got bodied hard. He got dominated mm-hmm. inside. Nebo, uh, he wasn't bad. He, he picked up some of his, his points in, in garbage time late in the game. He still had four blocks. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't a bad night for him, but it was just not a good night for anybody. It was just yep. what a terrible afternoon of basketball, really. Yeah, and what I want to do here briefly, Blake, I briefly want to back up to the Auburn game because Auburn had slight positives and i want i want to i want to shine the light before we extinguish it for the remainder of the podcast because there were a couple of things that were not the worst in that game the first of which is savion flag who is about the only reliable person we have left he had 22 and 7 in that game uh, 37 minutes played he continues his you know between 18 and 20 points and six and seven rebounds I thought Mitchell played well. He continued to be a reliable shooter in that in that game. Aside from that, there wasn't really much, but at least we had those couple of things happening uh, offensively. Now, the good stuff is gone. It's all gone because we're going to hit the two things I didn't like about the Auburn game, and then we're just going to go into the disaster zone of hell that was Missouri, and then we'll, we're not going to come back up for air again. So before we dive in, the two things about Auburn I didn't like. One, two field goal attempts for the bigs against Auburn. Two field goal attempts for the bigs. One each for Nebo and Mekawulu. They made both. Go figure. I mean, Inexcusable. I, I, yeah, there's no there's no reason for that to happen. Whatever. We'll toss that aside. The other thing I hated about that game was the stretch where Bryce Brown scored 19 straight points. Uh, and effectively, it was that stretch where Auburn pulled away and never looked back. During that stretch, we never really tried anything different defensively. We didn't try a box and one. We didn't try to... Uh, trap aggressively we didn't try to deny him as soon as he came across half court i joked that we should have tried a triangle and two or a line segment and three just make defenses up try to figure out a way to get this guy from scoring uh but in in all seriousness that's a job jj chandler is capable of doing he's he's a bulldog defensively if you turn him loose and say deny bryce brown aggressively the moment he crosses half court i'm not saying he's going to prevent him from getting the ball for 30 seconds but he's going to slow him down enough to where he's not just stepping into rhythm threes, five consecutive trips down the floor. The way that all went down with no defensive adjustments at all, it's enough to ram your head into the wall. It's one of about five or six really, really, really basic coaching errors we made this week. And I just wanted to call that out before we before we go into Mizzou land and, and, and you know, narrative return. It goes back to what we were talking about last week where we discussed the narrative 
that was brought up in the Kentucky game by the announcers that A&M is a good defensive team. Yeah. Where is that again? Yeah. Where is A&M a good defensive team? Yeah, it was it was an embarrassment. I'm not surprised. I, I hate to say that. That sounds horrible, but I'm not surprised. I think this is what you and I both were alluding to last week, that we are not that strong of a defensive team. J.J. Chandler is the best perimeter defender in this program, and even in this situation, he had no help. There was no... There were no adjustments made. You, you didn't see anything to try to limit the damage. The way that Kennedy just let it happen is is unbelievable and, and inexcusable in my mind. It is inexcusable. There's Yeah, there's no way to, to downplay it with a word softer than that. That's basic coaching 101. I remember a story when I was when I was growing up where we had a, we were playing rec league ball against a a uh, family that was really that we were really close with, right? Uh, and th- their son was the was the best player on the opposite team, and they, that this dude was torching us. And I remember that my dad was the coach back then. Uh, he trapped and denied this kid so aggressively in the second half that it caused like family tension <laughs> for <laughs> moving forward. I'm not saying you. Ha- I'm not saying that really has bearing on this story. What I am saying is that rec league coaches, coached by parent volunteers are capable of isolating the scenarios like this and saying, this guy's got the hot hand. I don't care who gets the ball in the next possession. It's not this guy. It's really not that hard to construct a defensive adjustment to to put that into fruition, right? Of course, like it won't take too long for Auburn to counter that, and then Brown will start getting the ball again. But just to run the same defensive setback four times, five times in a row and watch this guy just torch us, yeah, I don't know. I don't, what do you do with that? How, how do you... you... You take a foul, you knock him yeah. on his ass, you do something, yeah. but don't just let him step into rhythm threes for five straight possessions. My God. So anyway, we're going to transition here because he had an interesting quote after this game. So now I'm quoting directly. Auburn's Bryce Brown, who had 20 of his 22 points in the first half, was critical of the Aggies' effort. Said he expected more fire from A&M defensively when a ranked opponent comes on to the Aggies' home court. Quote, they probably could have played a little harder. When's the last time you heard something like that from an opposition player? When's the last time you heard somebody directly say that to the press after a game at Reed Arena? In a way, it was surprising, but in a way, I wasn't all that surprised. It's something you don't expect to hear, but I think we all saw it. Everybody who watched that game saw exactly what Brown was referring to. They had no fire. They had no passion. They didn't. They they looked disinterested. In all honesty. Uh, with mm-hmm. the exception of Flag, and even Mitchell. Mitchell was not terrible. He, you know, he had a good night, but the rest of the team looked completely disinterested. Didn't didn't even really look like they cared to be there. So, I want to say that that this is unprecedented. But at the same time, thank you to Bryce Brown for speaking the truth and for putting it out there because uh, people need to hear that from someone that was in the game to say, yeah, these guys didn't look like they even gave a damn. Also, thank you to Dan Dakich for speaking the truth. He's not my favorite color commentator of all time, but he was on the call when Auburn came to town, and he was lighting up our defensive effort the entire second half. Just, he was almost aghast. He couldn't, like, you know what I mean? He was like, and there it is again. You know, he couldn't even, he couldn't enunciate what was happening because he was so bewildered at some of the things we were doing on defense. But he never really let up. He was pretty critical of the program for most of the second half. And it was one of those things, Blake, where this is not really that important, but I like it when people talk about our traditions on a broadcast. I think it's fun. I think it's a cool thing. It's something that separates us. But they used our traditions just as a way to 
distract from the fact that we were getting worked on the basketball floor. You know what I mean? Like oh, it was yeah. one of those it things where it was filler. It was filler. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. filler because there was nothing else to talk about. There were only so many t- more times where they could question our defensive effort. There was nothing positive happening on the basketball floor, so they just went tradition. <laughs> like. Right. You know, they're, they're basically doing everything short of checking their watch to get out of there as the clock runs down. But yeah, Dakic was very, very critical. And I want to launch us now into another quote. This is Billy Kennedy now saying, quote, on Thursday after the Auburn game, our energy and effort weren't very good. And that's one of the reasons why we changed our lineup a little bit. But I thought Friday we came back with good effort. But when things start going bad, we really don't have any leadership on the floor. And that's Kennedy talking about the time from Auburn leading into the Mizzou game, which I guess is now as good a time as any to start talking Mizzou. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's the kind of stuff that's happening behind the scenes here, man. And that's why we've used phrases like rock bottom and the bottoms falling out of the program because it really feels like this wasn't just two losses. It really feels like things are spinning out of control. We'll talk about this later, but I fear the worst And when I say that, I think Kennedy's lost this team. Mm -hmm. And I don't think he lost this team in the span of this week. I think there are latent issues underlying all of this that go back to last year. I'm not sure what has happened internally within the program, but it's not like the talent's not there. It's just guys don't give a shit and they've stopped listening. So at this point, I'm really worried about the direction that things take for the rest of the season. Well, I'll hit you with some more quotes here to make you feel great. Here's Kennedy again after the Missouri game. Quote, I'm not doing a good enough job getting them ready. And secondly, you have to have guys who want to be coached, and that starts in practice. Didn't love that quote. Felt kind of like he was admitting fault, but also throwing people under the bus simultaneously. Bold move. Tough to pull both of those off in one sentence, but I think he managed to do it. And then finally, Kennedy again. Quote, I want to apologize to our fans and the 12th man for our effort. It was obviously poor, and obviously I've done a poor job getting our guys ready to play at the level I think we're capable of playing. End quote. He basically, he sounded mad. He sounded defeated. Uh, I think, to your earlier point, Blake, he knows now that whatever issues were bubbling are now spilling out of the pot and into public view uh, I think that became pretty clear with some of the things he did during the Missouri game. We talked about how he pretty much benched just about everybody with 10 minutes remaining, which is pretty early. You know, even if you're getting your butt kicked, you don't really pull everybody with 10 minutes remaining. So I, I don't know where we go from here. Uh, you know, this is the second time in a week that I, a coach of a team that I follow has basically admitted that he's at a loss and doesn't know what to do with the program. For those who don't know, I live in the Dallas area. I'm a big Dallas Stars fan. And uh, Jim Montgomery, the, the the Dallas Stars coach earlier this week, basically had a quote where he, after a game he said, I, I don't know what to do anymore to motivate this team. I've done everything I can think of. It's my job. I've got to keep trying. But I don't know what to do to get these guys to play hard because they, they aren't doing it. They aren't executing. And Kennedy's thoughts were almost exactly the same thing so it's it's really a disheartening thing to hear your coach say that I think that Kennedy sees that the writing is on the wall in all honesty for him he realizes that he's lost control of the situation at this point and it, it's going to take something pretty drastic to get it back you're right sitting Starks for basically the last 15 minutes of the game was was something pretty drastic Hopefully that does get into the team's psyche at least a little bit. Uh, hopefully that gets these guys refocused. I don't know. I, I'm I'm not uh, counting on it. No, I'm not. I'm not either. And here's the thing. I, I wonder about Starks at this point. 
we've talked about him, how he's very much a, a, a Russell Westbrook-like player. He has also s- some similarities to Rajon Rondo, right? He's ball dominant. Things are going to go as he goes. If he's on, the the team's going to be on, or at least at least things will be headed in a in a little bit better direction. I think that his attitude, the things that I saw from him this week, I'm not encouraged by what I've seen from him. I, I do worry that he's kind of at the center of all of this. In all in all honesty, I, I think that he's one of those very influential guys that drives a lot of the atmosphere within the locker room. Just that that dominant personality, and when things aren't going well, I don't know how he handles that. I, I don't think he handles it very well. So I'm kind of starting to wonder if, if there's some tension building behind all of this. I think there is, and I think I'm prepared for anything moving forward because with the wheels falling off as obviously and as publicly as they are, I would not be surprised if, we get news of another outgoing transfer. I won't speculate as to who that might be, but it it just it does feel like an untenable situation. So I got one more going for you here, based on everything you just said. Uh, this is Missouri for Jeremiah Tillman, who said an A and M player was complaining to him directly during the game during the course of the forty minutes, saying, "What's wrong with our guards? What's wrong with our guards?" This is Tillman quote. I mean, he's asking me. He said with a wry smile afterward. I told him, "I'm not going to tell you anything." So yeah, we've got now in the same week, we've got Bryce Brown questioning our effort directly to the press. And we have Jeremiah Tillman telling the press directly that people on A&M's team are complaining about our guards directly to the opposition. I can only imagine that's one of the big guys who's frustrated that they don't get the ball. I don't know. Who cares? But it is very public and it is very, uh, it is very clear that the wheels are falling off here. And so to all of the things you just said, I'm I'm prepared for anything. I'm prepared for any announcement that someone's leaving. I think anything's in play. Who knows, man? Who freaking knows? It's certainly a dumpster fire right now. I, I'm curious to see if Kennedy do, can do anything at this point to get it out of the bench. But I really think at this point, it's time for Scott Woodward to step up and earn his paycheck. I like Billy Kennedy. I do. I think he's a nice guy. I don't think he's a great basketball coach, and I think he's lost this program. So I think it's best for A&M to cut ties. I don't see it happening during the course of the season. I think they will wait until the end of the year, but I, I would assume that shortly after the Aggies are dismissed in the first round of the SEC tournament, that Billy Kennedy will be informed that he is being relieved of his coaching responsibilities. I fully expect it as well. I think there's really nowhere else you can go from from here, honestly. But He's been kept under almost as bad circumstances before, so who knows, man? I dare not speculate. I'm going to switch things up a little bit. We're going to do something a little more fun because I told Twitter that we were just going to have a bitch session, you and I, which it has been so far. We've been true to form. We were just going to complain about basketball for half an hour. I told everybody, it's going to be an extended rant session, so respond with your best basketball roast that fits in 280 characters. And you and I will read them on air. The only rule is that health issues are off limits and there are no other rules. I told people to fire away. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. So the first one I'm going to start with is our friend Greg DeLeg, who says, we got 99 problems, all of which could have been solved by Kyle Dobbins. So, <laughs> so we'll start We'll start <laughs> simply enough there. Uh, our friend Cubby Cup says, we need a minister of culture, uh, a reference to... Uh, Matthew McConaughey, who's now formerly involved with the Longhorn basketball program. He also included a gif of Rip Torn, so I assume that he wants Rip Torn as our minister of culture, throwing wrenches at TJ Starks every time he throws, he turns the ball over. 
God I bless am, it. I am wholeheartedly in favor of this. <laughs> okay, I'm looking through more of these now. Uh, Lucas Jackson, our friend Cool Hand Lucas from GBH, said A&M plays basketball like old people fuck. <laughs> uh, to which uh, our friend Flowers for Orgeron said, wait, they only play three times a year? That's a nice combo joke there. I enjoyed that. And then uh, Evan Zaggy, at Evan Zaggy, I think got mathematic with it. What I assume he did is he just started typing the word fuck until the Twitter <laughs> until the Twitter algorithm told him you have reached your 280 character limit, at which point he stopped typing in the word fuck and then hit enter. So what he lacks in creativity, he makes up for in gumption, which which I appreciate. Yes, yes. But we, we then got a good one here where someone chimed in immediately after that and said, you just gave more fucks than Billy Kennedy gave, at which point we're going to shut it down because <laughs> yeah, you yeah, can't improve it. upon that. Uh, and, and I felt like the bit was running a little long anyway, but thank you for to everyone who replied. We're all in this together, even though we, we watch out of hatred. We still watch it. We still follow it at least some level. So what are groups like this for? What are podcasts like this for? If not a mechanism to just let it out whenever we play as disastrously as we just have. So thank you, Blake, for indulging me. That was a pet project of mine. <laughs> I just wanted I to get that it. out there. That yeah. was good. So I'm going to talk about something slightly different, Blake, that's been that's been bothering me. And I'm going to talk about it in, t- in the context of the Auburn game, which was a 6 p.m. start. And it was a it was a poor crowd, as you might expect, for the way we've been playing this year, which was it kind of bummed me out a little bit because you and I were both raised in the same era of A&M basketball, where when we were on campus, if a ranked team was coming to town on a Wednesday at 6 p.m., that student line would have been at Wellborn by around noon. Right. Like there's people oh, yeah. there's probably people camping out some, not a ton, but some. But for a ranked opponent, that line is running down to the cor- to the corner of Joe Route and whatever co- uh, comes down the back end of West Campus Garage. It's going down into the Wellborn Tunnel, and if you're not in line by two, three p.m. for a six p.m. start, you're just not getting into the stadium. They would have let the students in. The student section would have been completely full hour and forty five minutes before tip, and that that's what you and I were raised with, right? That was the common parlance for a big conference game. Now, and my backstory, the way I came to follow basketball as closely as I did, wasn't really based on the fact that I loved basketball growing up. I was a basketball fan growing up, but when I came to A&M, I was ready to fall in love with football. I was I was a football guy, and I was like, I was just ready as a student to support football. And then what I got was Fran. And what I got after Fran was Billy Gillespie. And the difference between the way those two teams played, everything, I was just completely won over. You know, it, coming off an underwhelming France season, when I got Billy and the turnaround to eight and eight and everything that came afterwards, I was in. I was hooked. Many people were hooked with me. The question I have, and I don't really know the answer to this, is what would I have done if this would have been my freshman year experience? What would I have done if I had come to campus just kind of waiting for one of the major programs to pluck me up and kind of like embrace me and be like, "We're yours. We're we're the one you're going to care about the most." And I have to say, I'm not really sure I would have chosen basketball if this is what we were. I don't think I would have chosen basketball. And and I, I love the Reed Rowdies, and they've done a good job. And there's still people down close to the floor who truly do give a shit, and I love that. But for the people one layer removed from them, can you blame them if they don't jump on board with the basketball program? Because I'm not sure I can. And that's really depressing to me. No. And as I've alluded to, I'm class of 07, so... I, I had to suffer through my freshman year, the 0-16 Big 12 campaign, uh, the last year of Melvin Watkins, and mm-hmm. and it was brutal. It, it took something earth-shattering. It took a complete paradigm shift. It took a monumental figure like Billy Gillespie to come in and completely overhaul the program in order to get 
others interested in in Aggie basketball. Outside of those of us like myself, I grew up loving basketball. I I love the game. I, I grew up rooting for Duke because I wanted to watch a winner because I knew that A&M wasn't it, especially mm-hmm. in the days of Tony Baroni. And, and it was just, it was one of those things where I, I love the game. I love watching good basketball. And so that the, the Gillespie Renaissance was, was an amazing thing. And, you know, we all have our qualms with Turgeon, but even, even the time, the time of Turgeon was, was such a, a stark departure from what we see now. So, yeah, I think the worst that this gets the more you're doing to have to dig yourself out of a hole here with the student body, it's going to take something pretty monumental to get the students interested in this program again. So, so Blake, I, I agree with you across the board that there are culture problems, there are attendance problems that all stem from the lack of faith we all feel with the head man at the top. But I think there are some auxiliary things that hurt our attendance and hurt the uh, the promotion and hurt our ability to grab the neutral. And I think part of that is our departure from the Big 12. I've always held to this, and it's not a popular opinion. It's one that I spout off every now and again. I miss Big 12 basketball. I think A&M misses Big 12 basketball. The Big 12 is a tire fire that I never want to see again. I don't actually want to go back to the Big 12. But the Big 12 plays good basketball, and the Big 12 plays regional basketball. And when you're talking about a sport that's not football, you need regional opponents. You need the Big 12 South to come to town five times a year, and you need – and we had gotten to the point where we, we had developed a legitimate beef with Mizzou, with Kansas, with Kansas State. We had gotten to the point, Blake, where I felt truly invested in about three-fourths of our conference games. It was – yeah, there was definitely – a sense of community and a sense of rivalry across the conference. There was, and there's just none of that right now. Um, and it it hurts, and it makes it tougher to grab people if we're not really good. But I bring up the Big 12 because we've got a game with Kansas State this Saturday at Reed Arena. That's who we drew in the annual Big 12 SEC contest. And we're going to chat now with Ahern Alley from BringOnTheCats.com, the Kansas State SB Nation site, about this weekend, Big 12 basketball as a whole, and how things are going for the Cats this year. All right, now we are pleased to get a chance to talk to Luke Thompson, also known as Ahern Alley. Uh, Luke is a writer with Bring on the Cats, the SB Nation site for Kansas State. And Luke, welcome to the podcast. Kind of wanted to get a feel for what, what we can expect from the Wildcats in this game this weekend. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Hopefully I can help. So, Luke, before we dive into the to the on-court matchup too closely, I want to get your take on the Big 12 SEC Challenge as a whole. It, it is kind of awkwardly positioned in the end of January, kind of in the middle of the conference slate. So what's the Kansas State and kind of the overall Big 12 take on this challenge and where it falls in the college basketball calendar? Well, definitely uh, Kansas State's coaches have made no secret of disliking uh, where it falls in the middle of conference play. Uh, I think we've heard that from some other coaches uh, as well. But yeah, Bruce Weber has been as vocal as anyone. And I agree with him that it really doesn't belong in the middle of conference play. I think it's a good thing, you know, to to get these matchups, but I would just so much rather see it in December. And I think that's what Bruce has said as well. Now, let's talk a little bit about the buildup to this game. It looks like you guys had a bit of a slow start in conference play, but you're now running a streak of four straight. What have you seen in the last couple of weeks? What's changed to kind of turn y'all's conference season around? Uh, well, 
I think you can take it back to one half against West Virginia. K-State was down by 21 points. I believe the, the ESPN you know, win probability statistic was about 98% in favor of West Virginia. And then K-State made a rather astonishing comeback to win that game. And that started a, a four-game win streak. A lot of it is just guys you know, knocking down more shots, I, I think, is a big part of it. Um, Dean Wade coming back obviously helps. You know, when you get your Big 12 preseason player of the year back from injury, that's always going to be a plus. But um, at the same time, they, they didn't look super great with him early on. So, uh, you know, all year we've seen the defense is playing at an elite level, and that'll keep you in basically any game. But the offense has been really pretty terrible most of the year. And, and, and this last four games, they've become more efficient and taking smarter shots. Barry Brown stepped up a lot. Xavier Sneed stepped up and had a season high last game. And so just getting a lot more production on that end has been the main difference. And it seems like you guys play a pretty deliberate pace. I see here your adjusted tempo is among the slowest in D1 basketball. Is it kind of a grinded out, rely on the defense? Is that kind of the, the K-State angle the, this season? Yeah, it really is. And that's, you know, Bruce Weber teams have always been like that. You go back and watch Mesa, Illinois, Illinois. That's just sort of the style that, that he brings. It's not my favorite personally, but... You know, when it's done right, it can be effective, and they've been able to to get it done better lately. So, Blake, that's what we're up against. Yeah, yeah we're we're up against a team that plays slow and with defensive discipline. So, uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> How you feeling, Blake? This this doesn't look good for us already. So, looking back early in the year, you guys were picked second in the Big Twelve preseason poll, and you you hit a couple of bumps there at the beginning of conference play that David alluded to with losses to, to Tech, which is a respectable loss, but also a loss to Texas as well. Now, I know that you had also mentioned the loss of Dean Wade, who is a phenomenal talent. What have you seen from the team in the period that he was out that kind of gave you comfort or gave you some pause, maybe created some reservations for you about his absence? And then can you also talk about what it's like now that he's back and how the team has, has adapted, you know, with him returning to the lineup. Uh, yeah, so it's kind of funny, actually, because without him, you know, they won the, the first game and there were some people, you know, starting to talk, oh, maybe K-State's actually better off with it without Dean. Because, you know, you, you may remember last year, K-State made its run to the Elite Eight without Dean Wade, essentially. And, and so, you know, we were trying to, to figure that out, but I think it's obvious that K-State misses his presence inside and just um, the extra space he brings to the floor because obviously he's the guy you've got to guard anywhere he is. And and Kansas State's other bigs just are not much of a shooting threat and have trouble, you know, doing doing a whole lot on offense. And so I think just just having the additional threat of him in there. And he's also just such a smart player. You know, he's not a guy, even defensively, that you think of a great defender, but He's a high IQ defender, and I think that that makes a difference as well. And I'm looking here at your uh, Ken Palm shooting splits, and I think uh, if any home builders in the area want to bring a wheelbarrow, there's going to be a few bricks for sale would be my guess when Kansas State comes to visit. Uh, But I've also noticed that your efficiency has improved. It looks like you've started to take fewer threes. Do you think that's a concerted effort to just consistently step inside the three-point line on most, if not all, of your offensive possessions? I would hope so. Yeah, I think, I mean, even it's been kind of funny. Barry Brown, uh, 
you know, arguably K-State's best scorer this season, has sort of gotten into the habit of taking shots two or three feet inside the line, which, you know, most coaches these days will tell you that's a horrible shot, but for him it seems to be working. And, um, you know, I think Xavier Sneed is the same way. He's, he's been hitting the mid-range jump shots and being a lot more effective that way. So I think it's more just, you know, K-State's looking for whatever shot that, that they can get that's a smart shot instead of just kind of sitting out at three-point line and, and settling for that. So, Blake, I don't know about this. It appears that you cannot shoot threes. Did you know that was a choice? If you're a poor shooting team, you can work the ball closer to the basket. A fascinating concept. That's, that is a that is a novel concept. I, I would be interested to see how that works. <laughs> One more from me here. I'm curious to see uh, what, if anything, concerns you heading into this game. I know uh, A&M isn't really riding the highest of highs, as uh, Blake and I effectively spent the first 30 minutes of this episode just crying into our beer about the last week that was. But is there anything about the roster that gives you pause? Or what's your expectation as uh, Kansas State comes to visit College Station? Well, I, I guess probably my biggest thing would just be on Kansas State's end, in that it's a road game, it's not a Big 12 game, and may not mean as much. And for a team that relies so much on its defensive intensity, if that lets down a little bit and, and if they end up shooting poorly, then... I can see where, where things might go wrong there. And, you know, it's not like this team hasn't had its duds. You know, you, you mentioned the Texas game. They also lost at Tulsa, which was pretty disappointing loss. So um, I, I just hope that they can keep the same intensity up and keep the momentum going. Well, Luke, I just want to get your, your prediction. Any final thoughts on what you would expect to see on Saturday? Well, I think you guys alluded to it. It's going to be an ugly basketball game. So people should be ready for that. I'll say K-State you know, sl- manages to slow down the pace and ekes out a, let's say, 62-55. Keep pretty low scoring. I have to say it is definitely going to be low scoring. I think it will not go to the good guys. I would anticipate something around that as well. Maybe even a score in the 50s. I think we're just headed for uh, kind of a brick fight of a basketball game. All right, before we let you go, is there anything else you wanted to plug? I know, you, as we mentioned, you're a writer for Bring on the Cats. Anything you want to plug on that site? Just, I have my own podcast, and then David came on this week as a guest. We, we talked all about Texas A&M basketball, even uh, you know, a little bit SEC, Big 12. Uh, so you can check that out. Um, it'll be posted also via my Twitter, at Aaron Alley. Sounds good. Well, thank you again for joining us, and uh, I look forward to the game, and best of luck the rest of the season. Yeah, thanks a lot. So thanks again to Ahern Alley from bringonthecats.com. We appreciate him coming on, talking about the, this upcoming game against Kansas State and what we can expect to see from the Cats. So, David, what do you expect this week? We have a game against Florida on Tuesday in, in Gainesville, and then as we talked about Kansas state coming to Reed arena, how do you see this thing going? Well, last week I tempted fate by saying that I felt optimistic and I wasn't going to, to lose that faith until the universe made me feel pessimistic and the universe immediately pistol whipped me with two 20 point losses. But I'm going to challenge fate again, because I'm going to tell you, Blake, it can't get worse. It can't get worse than this week. How could it, how could it possibly be worse than people openly questioning your players effort, your players questioning each other, the coach questioning everybody in post game. 
it can't be worse than this week, whatever happens. So I think we'll show some life in one of the two games and things will slightly return to normal. That's my take. And that's what I hope happens. Where are you at? What do you think we're going to get these next two games? I hope you're right, but I fear you're wrong. Oh, boy. (laughs) I don't think it will get worse, but I think it will stay much the same. Uh, Oh, man. I don't don't think that this program has the intestinal fortitude to pull itself together. I don't think that these guys are tough enough, save for a couple. I think Josh Nebo gives a damn. I think Savion Flagg gives a damn. Even even Wendell Mitchell, for you know the short time he's been with the program, I've been pleased with what he brings. But a lot of these other guys, I just I don't see a fire. I don't see the the desire to to turn things around. And I hope I'm wrong, but I I just I don't see this thing pulling itself out of the ditch at this point. You know I like that. Let's let's start with the people who give a shit. Let's start with the effort. Let's roll with Flag, Chandler, Mitchell, Nebo, and whoever grabs the fifth spot in practice. Let's give Mark French minutes like we did last, like we did against uh, against Missouri, and and he came in and played hard. I'd rather lead with effort and see bad execution than try to play our talented five and watch them walk their way, you know, through another twenty point loss. I I like that approach, Blake. I would be okay if that's the way we handled our business moving forward. If we just started with effort. And, and we go from there. So hopefully we've got at least one thread of hope to cling to the next time we chat. I don't know, man. It's really, it's not, a, it's, we're not in a good place right now. So hopefully we're in a better place next week. I agree. Let's hope for the best. All right, man. Talk to you soon. <laughs>